Hello and welcome to Community Topics number seven of Dualist Community. I am the truth, identifying as Andrew for nothing more than convenience sake. And I am delightfully blasphemous because the truth can't be offended. And the very idea that you can insult God, that something should be so sacred that you take it so seriously that you in fact create more division is ridiculous. The entire idea of blasphemy makes no sense whatsoever to anyone with clarity, but to the ego, which wants to put something up on a pedestal, wants to have something to shoot for, wants to have something to judge others against. It's, it's a perfect concept. It's exactly the, the playground that the ego would like. So I am very happy to be offensive when it comes to all things religious, because as I've said many times, it's very hard to respect something that takes you farther from the experience of God that it promises to deliver you to. And on that note, Welcome to Community Topics number seven. This one's going to be a lot of fun. We have some great topics today. I'll admit it's a little daunting because uh, these topics are, are rather deep, but we're going to do our best to kind of just go through them and question a bunch of things and see some different perspectives and learn what we can. So we appreciate you being here to go along that journey with us. A few announcements, of course, up front. The first is that we have a new contest that you may not know about if you haven't already listened to the last episode. That contest is for some free Dualistic Unity merch. You can win a hoodie or a t-shirt or a tote bag. Could be anything. And all you have to do is choose your favorite Dualistic Unity quote. Go to dualisticunity.com. You will find the contest form. You just enter your favorite quote, the details of what episode it comes from, your contact information, and then at the end of October, all of the entries will go up for vote by the community and the top five entries will win a prize. Definitely get involved if you can. Second announcement is of course, the retreat. The retreat is coming up. Now, on to community topics. So our topics today are interesting and again, they go a little deep. So I wanna preface this by saying, no offense is intended to anyone. The topics that we're going to discuss today are things that we've all experienced to some degree, but admittedly, some, some people have experienced them to a much harsher degree. And the people who have are generally going to find these conversations to be a little triggering and hard to deal with. And so I'm, I'm asking that you show us a little bit of patience and that you understand that we are trying to show empathy as we try to explore this topic, because ultimately we're all going to grow from this conversation if we can just avoid getting triggered so that we can think clearly and communicate our questions. And again, if you have any questions after the episode, reach out to us on Discord because it's a conversation worth having. That all said, our topics today are the impact of childhood trauma and the collective ego. So you can see why I wanted to preface this with so many warnings, just to let you know, this is gonna be a deeper episode and it's not going to necessarily be a pleasant episode all of the time. So I'm going to pass this off to Andrew as of right now so he can get into his initial thoughts about childhood trauma and a little bit of how we might be able to deal with that. And then I will get into it shortly after that. Sounds great. Uh, so I feel like I normally start these out with personal experience and whatnot. And I do have some things that immediately come to mind. And I think, as Ray mentioned, it's important to, to recognize that trauma isn't just one objective, one size fits all thing. It is very fluctuating for everyone. Someone could have a traumatic experience that had a drastic impact on their life that you know, seems like a pretty decent day to another person who went through some more potentially severe trauma. But the impacts can oftentimes be comparable throughout our lives because 
you can't compare pain, as Ray has said many times before. So I'll get into you know personal stories at some point. I'm sure Ray will as well. But one of the first things I wanted to touch on was just how much of an impact that traumatic events, especially during childhood, can have. And, and from my understanding, why I understand they can have such a such a drastic impact. And something I got into and did a good amount of research into uh, a couple of years ago was brainwave states and how essentially, so I think technically gamma is a fifth brainwave state, for, but from my understanding, we primarily exist in four brainwave states, beta, alpha, theta, and delta. And from my understanding, the way to explain these are that beta is kind of the, the highest functioning brainwave state when you're actively working on a problem, trying to solve something, figure something out. Next up is, is alpha. And that's the brainwave state that we're in when we're doing a task we do every single day, say washing the dishes, brushing our teeth. We don't really have to think too much about it. It's just kind of become automated. Theta is something that we experience essentially twice a day as an adult, as we're falling asleep, and then as we're waking up, and then Delta is the primary state that we're in as we're sleeping. And so Theta is probably the most interesting brainwave state that I have come across, in, in my opinion, because it is sort of comparable to a degree to a state of hypnosis. And, and so we're very, uh, we're very vulnerable when we're falling asleep and, and waking up. And so, you know, people will talk about this relative to all different sorts of things. One thing being, you know, like right when you wake up, don't check your phone because that'll have a deeper or a, a quicker route into your subconscious or something like that along those lines. That's a lot of times where you hear about it, but, you know, it can also be utilized for, for a number of other things. But the reason I wanted to bring these up was because as an adult, that's sort of how these brainwave states function. But as a child, there are also, we, we aren't primarily existing between beta and alpha like we are as an adult. We're actually, when we're, when we're very young, say, you know, these aren't exact, but from when we're born to three years old, existing in delta primarily. That's why you don't necessarily remember a ton from when you're a little baby or toddler. And then from say three-ish to nine or 10 ish, we're existing in theta brainwave state. And as I mentioned before, it's, it's almost like a state of hypnosis. It's like you're a sponge throughout those ages. So again, the reason I wanted to bring this up was because when you are those ages, you are incredibly vulnerable and anything that happens to you in your life can have a drastic impact that can be very long lasting. It's almost like when your subconscious is being developed to a degree. So when you are a child and, and when you're dealing with children, it can, it's, I think, important to keep that in mind because they aren't necessarily acting out of how they know to act. They're acting based on how they see everyone around them acting and based on how they're being acted upon by parents or, you know, grown up figures around them. So it's not to say that that stays with you. For the rest of your life or that it has to, but it definitely does have a drastic impact on your life. So I literally just decided to start things off with, with this thing. Um, but that's how I think about it. And that's why it's such 
a hold such a special place in my heart is understanding how much of an impact is had on children and how important it is to help them to develop and not hinder their development as children, understanding literally how their brain is functioning when they are a young child growing up. And then, you know, things start to shift throughout puberty and teenage years into, into your late teens and early twenties. But you know, those years as a child are very impactful. And that's why this discussion of childhood trauma, it does have such a massive impact on the rest of our lives. Well, so that's a great place to start. I'm going to take a twist with what you were saying and say that that's actually something they consider when it comes to psychological torture or, or when it comes to brainwashing is how do I return the subject to an almost childlike state of vulnerability, to a state of mind where they are thinking abstractly, they have no sense of logic or reason necessarily. They're just looking for something to attach to, to get some sense out of whatever the hell is happening to them. And so they try to put you in that state of mind in order to torture you, in order to brainwash you and manipulate you. And so you can see how much impact it does have on kids, right? But on the other hand, I think this is important to mention, often when we look at, at trauma, we associate it with things that happen that are, are negative, things that happen that are harmful, things that happen that are bad. But life is traumatic. It's very important to remember that even experiences that on their face are very good can yield a traumatic response, right? Like when we're children and, and we're held by a, a loving parent and then that parent has to leave, we feel them leave. We feel like we've been abandoned, even if we haven't been. It's just that that experience is so new and we're so attached to it being lovely and, and, and wonderful and, and self-validating and, and all of those things, that when it leaves, that's a little traumatic, right? And if the parent doesn't return, right? Or if that behavior continues, well, then it starts to leave a mark. It starts to leave a little bit of a habitual perception that I'm on my own. I can't rely on other people to continue to give me that feeling of love. And so you compound that over years and years and years and years, and you can see how it, it can actually become something more severe, right? And it's just through what my, some people might view as a positive experience that just didn't last long enough for the person. So I think it's important to remember that we're not trying to avoid trauma necessarily. Like even as a parent, I, I understand that there are certain lessons that my daughter has to learn the hard way. There are certain lessons that she needs to learn by overextending herself, making a mistake, feeling a little foolish, beating herself up, realizing there's no point in beating herself up and then learning from it and moving on. There's a point to all of that. Is it traumatic? Yeah, absolutely. It sucks to feel all of that stuff that you're going through in that process. But it's the process of going through it that allows you to mature because maturity is the ability to deal with the ups and downs of our emotional state, the ups and downs of life without necessarily crumbling, without reaching to somebody else immediately for support. Maturity is the growing awareness that you have the capability to deal with this if you were to just slow down and deal with it with a degree of seriousness. So it's not that trauma is a bad thing. It's that we don't minimize that trauma. Often some child may have an awesome life where there's no trauma whatsoever, or it's so minimal where every time they make a noise that, that sounds like a cry, their parents are like, here's a new toy. Here's the next thing you want. How can I shut you up? How can I make you happy? How can I feel like a better parent? And so there's almost no time there to experience trauma, or at least we don't think so. 
But over time, that starts to compound too. All of a sudden, you start to realize you're being bought. All of a sudden, you start to feel like you're not actually being connected with. And that has its own sense, or its own type of trauma. That has its own impact and can just as much influence your, your self-esteem, influence your, the way that you feel about yourself. Right? So trauma is a really complicated topic. And I love the fact that you started it off on our state of mind. Our state of mind when we are in a traumatic event changes everything about what we do with that traumatic event. Likewise, after the traumatic event, our state of mind is just as much a powerful tool there. Because I know looking back at my own history of trauma, when I was looking back at it from a certain perspective of myself, I couldn't reconcile it. I couldn't find the strength that I had gained from it. It was all negative. And it all identified me and it set the trajectory for the rest of my life being terrible. It made me look at my life as though it was a curse. But in a different state of mind, looking at the very same story, looking at the very same events, all of a sudden I can recognize how much I learned from it. I can recognize how much it's propelling me towards something else, how much it's motivating me to see things in a different way. Like I can recognize all of that, but it really does come down to, well, as always, how much we use it to define ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. I think... What's really interesting to talk about when it comes to trauma is how much our mindset during a potentially traumatic experience dictates whether or not it's traumatic. Like there are so many things and thinking, you know, I, and to be honest, I didn't have a incredibly traumatic childhood. I didn't go through severely intense things. There were things that I went through. And like Ray said, there, you know, anything can be traumatic. Everything is you know, traumatic, it doesn't mean it's negative. It just means it has an impact on us for the rest of our life. So thinking back to when I was younger and I, I didn't see myself in, in the way that I do now or, or recognize at least closer to the truth of what I am, the way that I was treated, the way that people talked about me or thought about me had a severe impact on me because I felt like my worth was dictated based on other people's opinions. If I still had that mentality right now with how much, how many fucking videos I post and some of them being controversial and some of the shit I get online, every video I post would have the potential to be a traumatic experience. And, and they are severely more potentially traumatic than anything I went through when I was younger that had a very lasting impact on me and actually did impact the way I thought about myself severely, the way that I interacted with people moving forward, the way that I spoke with people, the way I thought about myself, the amount of you know confidence I had going into every, any situation, the, the lack of faith that I had. And now I experience things on a daily basis that are more potentially severe than those things. So I think it's interesting to keep in mind how much our mindset has to do with whether it's a severely traumatic event or it isn't. And so when you start to see yourself more clearly, the, see the truth of what you are more clearly and recognize that you know, you're know you not this idea, you're not this concept, you're not this story, you're not this name, you're not this identity that you've always believed that you are, all of a sudden there, there aren't so many things that can impact your feelings of self-worth. And so as you move forward through things, the potential for something to be traumatic, it's, it's not to say it's 
isn't still there, but the bar is like way, 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 way fucking higher. Whereas before it was super low, like anything could be traumatic. And, and when you see yourself as, you know, the idea, you take your identity to be the truth, then, you know, that trauma bar is super low and anything anyone says could potentially have a severe impact on your feelings of self-worth. So I think, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of cool to recognize that, but also important to recognize that there are levels to the impacts of potentially traumatic events based on how you see yourself. And the further you are from recognizing the truth of what you are, the lower that bar is going to be, the more severe potentially traumatic events are going to feel to you. That's why it's so hard for children because they're just coming out of unity into the, into the experience of identity, into the experience of individuality. And so they're just learning how to be separate. They trust everything. They don't understand what other people are doing. There's no context there. And so they're completely blindsided by these events. They have no way to rationalize them. They're just happening. And, and so as a result of them happening and those children having no tools to deal with it, they have to try and invent their own. But they're so new to the game that the tools that they invent have an impact, have a negative impact over time, right? Like um, disassociation is a very common response to childhood trauma, just tuning out, completely separating from the situation, from, from your own body, from the environment as a whole. That over time develops into a habit of separating yourself from conversations when you don't feel like you're being listened to or holding yourself at arm's length from people who are trying to love you because you can't necessarily trust them. You can't even be in the relationship enough to trust them because you're still disassociating from the, from the situation out of fear, right? It makes it so difficult to create relationships, to actually have communication that's genuine because you're so afraid to actually attach to the moment, to be where you are fully because you could be in danger. And so disassociation over a long period of time can create some serious, serious problems. You know, likewise, addiction. Addiction is another one when you're going through suffering as a kid and you can't get out of it. Whenever you can, you immediately look for pleasure. You immediately look for some cessation of the pain. Well, over time, that becomes addiction. Over time, that becomes risky behavior. Over time, that results in, in health problems. That results in all kinds of toxicity. But it's because that trauma wasn't resolved. There was no capacity to understand it. And that's not on the kid. That's the problem, is that we're talking about childhood trauma. And a lot of people would be like, oh, we have to end childhood trauma. Start with the parents. Start with the parents, because I mean, ultimately that that's where you're gonna have the most impact, not the schools, not the therapists, the parents, because it's the parents who are removed. It's the parents that aren't there when their kids are going through this, that don't notice the signs or, or don't have the capacity to actually respond to those signs because of their own childhood trauma. And that's something that we, we also forget. We are a species of people who have been through childhood trauma because our culture lacks empathy. That is one of the common factors to all of our lives. We grew up feeling separate from the world. Like if we didn't toe the line and participate enough, we would be left in the dust. We'd be left to perish. And that is the message of this world. If you don't do as everybody else does, you're going to end up homeless. You're going to end up poor. You're going to end up sick and without friends, alone. Right? That's the threat. And so how, how can you not be traumatized by that? growing up? How can you 
not feel like you have to survive and that you should do everything that you can for yourself to survive. And that manifests in so many ways that that's unfortunately toxic. And this is going to lead to the next topic there shortly, which is, of course, the collective ego. But I'm going to pass this back to Andrew first. Yeah, it's it's always fun. I mean, it's it's one of the most difficult topics to discuss. I mean, not only childhood trauma, but also society at large. Like, how do we shift society when when the children are going through childhood trauma and then the parents are perpetuating childhood trauma because they went through childhood trauma and it's like we have to we have to be able to recognize that change happens now change always happens now and and being able to look at your situation and and recognize that it it may not be your fault it rarely ever is because of that cycle that we just discussed, but still is your responsibility for your state of being. And it is still your responsibility and, and talking less so about children, because there is such a vulnerable, it's such a vulnerable state in which you're living going back to, you know, just existing in theta brainwave state, primarily like incredibly vulnerable. Like you're basically just an open sponge, just soaking in everything that you're experiencing. So it, it's difficult to put much responsibility on that because you're just soaking in your environment. But once you, you know, are beyond those stages and, and take the responsibility of having children and raising children, it's like, there has to become a point in our society where people start to take responsibility for themselves. And it's a shift that is, is happening. You know, it's, it's always happening. It's always been happening one way or another. And I think as much as we want it to happen tomorrow and we want to force everyone to, you know, shake them and be like, wake up, you know, you're not what you think you are. Like all we can do is, is really all we can do at the end of the day is embody it, talk about it, have the conversations, not try to force people to change, but still talk about it and be willing to talk about it. Be willing in the face of a society that calls you crazy for talking about it, still doing it and, and having that conviction to continue to do it, despite what everyone may be saying, however caught up in the illusions that they may be, because the change happens now. The, the present dictates the past. The past does not dictate the present. So becoming clearer on that, you see that, you know, no beginning, no end, right now is as much the beginning as it in, as it is the end and and with that there's a lot of power in that recognition that you're capable of it and when you let go of the beliefs about yourself and what you can and can't do it becomes a lot clearer and that potential to shift reality as reality becomes a lot clearer you, it immediately makes me think of the seven generations mentality that the indigenous practiced here on North America, because that is the impact that we have. Everything that we do impacts generations after us. And so we actually have to start thinking about ourselves as being more than just this generation, this singular body. We actually have to remember, we have to remember that all of the children that are, are suffering still to this day are us. We're suffering as them. It's not just, oh, the children are suffering. We're suffering. That's us suffering, right? But we're also eternal, which means that 
just as you have gotten through your suffering and I am getting through my suffering, those children will get through their suffering and they will teach others about suffering. And that is how we collectively change is through the experience of suffering. And I just wondered whether or not it would actually be something like seven generations to see that intention manifest on, on a global scale or to manifest on a collective level. Is, is that how long it might take, right? Because I don't know where that seven generations thing came from. I think it's a wonderful number, but is it arbitrary? Did they just go, hmm, that seems like a good number to, to try and think about the span of our impact? Or is there actually something there that they noticed over thousands of years of existence? That that's how long it takes for the egoic cycle to wash out if you put the intention into it or for the ego egoic cycle to kick in if you put intention into it. it makes you wonder yeah absolutely yeah so i think that's a good shift into uh, the conversation of the collective ego and this is something i know we've talked about this in a past episode you know there's there's only one me but is there only one illusion of division as well that experience is experienced infinitely not divided but but differently based on simply based on those experiences that we have is is that the only thing are we when we start out do we start out as you know simply i simply the truth of what we are but then also is there something there that's the potential to that has the potential to recognize division and, and get caught up in division as truth. And is that aspect of us the same across everything? Is it the same idea of self? And that then is molded just based on our experiences, based on what we go through, based on the traumas we experience. And, and over time, like it all starts from you know, that blank slate as we all do, I guess, I guess it could be considered the same, you know, I that's that begins to perceive division. But I think that collective self is all the same self, potentially, that's just talking to itself, interacting with itself, as we know, it's all the same. But you know what I'm saying? Like that, that other layer that perceives division, like that's all the same too. And we all, you know, the, the fears we experience, all of the emotions we experience are actually the same experience. We just perceive it differently. It, it impacts us differently based on different things, but the core reasons for it also, could they also remain the same? across all of me <laughs> see this is a great question and this is the reason that i disagree with a certain portion of the spiritual community when they say you know the truth is i am because i is division you can't have i without division there's an i compared to something else if there was no else, uh, no something else, there'd be no I. Because that's the truth. Is that it's not I. I is the universal experience of division. Everything that experiences, experiences from the I. Everything. Right? And that's okay. We experience the division between the observer and the observed. That is the crux of our experience. 
but that I isn't real. That I is the root of your experience. It's the only way you would have an experience. It's the only way that you would even have the concept of real because you can't have something that's unreal, right? So it comes down to I is the division. Getting caught up in the I is the problem. It's not that I is the problem. The experience of I is wonderful. It's the, it's the reason we experience anything. It's the reason that you can have a community of people with all different perspectives and all different lessons and all different lifetimes and all that fun stuff. It's when we get caught up in that experience and we start to conceptualize it and we start to value the idea of that I rather than just being that I, rather than just allowing ourselves to exist as that I without the idea of it becoming so important that it divides us from everybody else even further. And so that, that is the only problem. The problem isn't division. The problem is that we don't recognize we are that division and we can perpetuate that division just by not being responsible for it. That's really all it comes down to. Mm, interesting. <laughs> I feel like it's been a little while since I've not fully followed you. And I think this is, I'm excited about it. It makes me excited because the idea of, so I've always thought of I am, or at least, you know, in the last year as it's just like, I am. And then anything that comes after that is what I am. And I perceive it to be, you know, I've always perceived it to be Andrew. So I wasn't wrong, but it was just that I wasn't only Andrew. And anything that's ever said, I am Ray, I am Andrew, I am this tree, you know, it's, it's all me. So you said, or I guess, I guess a question, can you have I without the idea of I? Because you're talking about I always having an idea or, or coming with an idea. And the issue isn't the I, but the issue is the ideas that come with the I. So can we have I without ideas? And is that sort of what you're, what you're pointing to with that? Because it's, I feel like we're almost getting caught up in like the conceptual or, or this can lead, this probably is where the conceptual non-duality teachers get into. They, they refute the I, the even existence of an I. And so then they're just going so far into a belief. They say, I am, you know, John. They're like, but I am, but I am not. But it's like, hey, you are, and you aren't. Like, I'm not, I know I'm not Andrew, but I am still experiencing here now i am something here now so is it like the non-duality ask i know i'm asking like a couple questions with this so i'm just trying to like clarify so is it like the non-duality teachers get so caught up in refuting the experience of i beyond the ideas is that what it comes down to i think it's i think it's that we get so caught up in the intellectualization that we start to lose touch with the empathy that otherwise would inform our perspectives because you are not what you think you are you are or at least you have the experience of being but that is only according to, to the perception of division that you are experiencing 
to say I am, it's kind of pointless because there's no possibility that you could not be. And there's no one else to be, I guess is the point. So you don't even have to focus on the I am. That's kind of the necessity of experience. We are all I in that we are not I whatsoever, but it is the only way that we can experience our vast eternal self. Experience requires an experiencer. And that's what we are. We are the potential of experiencing ourselves in infinite different ways, right? But the thing that is experiencing itself does not think of itself. It does not identify. It is everything in that it is nothing that it could potentially be anything. It's not even in space and time. Like that's, that's the trick about thinking about this is that we keep trying to think about something, but that requires something for it to be in. There is no division between the observer and the observed. There is no container. There's no box. There's nothing inside the box. None of that it, uh, it applies. None of that actually makes any sense when you start thinking about the fact that division is only a perception, right? Because we always use the, uh, we use language. There's you and there's me. And in language and the perception of division, that makes sense. But if it's just me, then the very concept of me stops making sense because there's no you to validate it. Okay. So it's almost like <clears throat> the idea of me is irrelevant when there are no others, when there is no within or without, when there, when there is no experience relative to the experiencer because if the experience is the experiencer and the experiencer is the experience then it just kind of like i don't even know how to i don't even know if i can wrap my head around it but it's like i think have you used the paradox of like you're, you're holding a box and you reach your hand into the box which reaches above you which is in the box and it's like you can't really explain that there's no way to do so, but I've actually thought about that a number of times within the last, I don't know, couple of weeks. And I'm like, okay, that's starting to make sense because it didn't for a while. And I had no idea what you're talking about. And it's funny, even, even the other day, maybe this is sort of related. Sometimes before I go to sleep, I'll just sit, lie in my bed and, and like, I don't have, I won't have my contacts in, so everything's pr pretty blurry, but I'll look around and like all straight up start tripping super hard. Like the whole room is like moving and morphing. And I just feel like I'm kind of like floating around in space and I'm totally sober. And then I'll close my eyes and I'll, it'll, it, it won't be nearly as visual as it is when I'm tripping, but there'll be some stuff there. And I'll be able to, it won't be like necessarily I'm seeing things, but it's like a state of recognition that's a lot clearer than it normally is when I'm able to, I don't know, it's probably through just the, the attention for a number of minutes. And I was like, hmm, what's something cool that I would want to, you know, figure out when I'm feeling sort of like this or like, what's, what is the truth? I wonder what the truth is. And then it hit me that I was the truth asking what the truth is so i can't even find it because i am it and as long as i'm looking for it 
I'll never see it because I can't actually find myself because I'm the thing that I'm looking for. Yeah. Welcome to the party. That's the paradox. <laughs> that's, that's where it becomes a whole other game. This is where, you know, the serious work becomes because then you start to realize that it's not about attaining any level of, of enlightenment. It's not about learning new concepts. It's about sinking deeper into your limitless potential, which is all we've ever been saying. The more that you get out of the fiction in your head, the more you get out of who you think you are, the more you get away from the conflict that is I, the more access you have to the limitlessness of your nature, the limitlessness of your, in, of your intelligence, of your insights. And that's why we practice meditation. That's, that's why we practice Tai Chi. That's why we practice these things to get out of our own way enough to access the depth of what we're capable of. But we keep taking it like, yeah, I accomplished this. And then we cut ourselves off from the rest of what we could do because we just identified with the accomplishment. Where otherwise we would continue to process intelligence. We would continue to exceed all expectations because we don't have any. There's nothing to expect. We are just what is. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, there's, that's getting so much clearer too. It's like every time... There's something because it still comes up so much and there's still so many things I deal with that all have to do with Andrew, you know, with, with the idea, with the concept. And I'm getting at least, you know, closer to recognizing just how many of those things that are so pushed upon us by, you know, the collective ego. It's almost like it's getting pushed upon me by myself as long as I'm holding on to the belief that I'm me as the collective ego, because that collective ego is the same across the board in every other incarnation of me that's pushing the narrative of, you know, you need to do this, you need to get this, you need to have all this and, and do all this. And it's like, it's getting pushed and infiltrated. And as long as I believe that I am that, that impact of the collective ego will seem stronger and more easily able to impact it. But as I let go of needing to get anywhere, to do anything, to have anything, to need anything, which is always that idea of myself coming into play, all of that impact, all of those noises, all of those voices, all of those people, all of those things telling me to do this or get this or want this or should do this won't be as impactful because there won't be as much of that connection anymore to the collective ego that is also perceived individually as you know each of the identities but it's all one entity as well you know it's like towards ourselves or away from ourselves we're going towards ourselves letting go of that collective ego recognizing closer to not that, you know, whatever's left after that, which I'm having a very much harder time saying what that is. So I've always said like, I don't know, some semblance of awareness of reality or reality or, or whatever, but it's so hard to say. It's almost like, is that even as important as just recognizing what it's not recognizing that it's what's left when the collective ego isn't taken to be the truth so much anymore. So as you let go more and more of those ideas, it's like there isn't as much connection to that. And then as more of that, let's go of that, 
there's more it's like it's it's like a letting go there's not as much connection to that and then it's just what's left i i don't even want to say there's a connection to you know unity because that's always there it's always there and it's just the perception that it isn't so it's always there and then we have like just this you know layer of shit of like collective ego on top of it it's just like almost just a shedding of that that allows us to get closer to the truth as above so below right like i always think of this in terms of changing my mind right but we are one mind it's not just ray's mind it's our collective mind all of us are our points that lie somewhere between being lost in ego or totally connected to what already exists all the time we're always in that spectrum and so the question is where are we collectively in that spectrum right like this is the whole symbolism of alchemy and turning lead into gold right is taking all of those egoic influences taking all of that childhood trauma as it were that's being passed down the line in our collective consciousness and changing it into a lesson changing it into an insight that that sets us free and allows us to impact the other connections that we make after the fact. And it creates an entirely different ripple because we are just like thoughts in our mind. We are just like synapses in our brain. We work together to change our collective perception. So when we're talking about the collective ego, I just see one. I see one ego, which is just the perception of a division. It's that we believe it's truth. That is the only problem is that we believe it's truth. We don't recognize it's the foundation of our experience. We don't recognize it's actually kind of cool because we're so caught up in it that it's created hell for us. And then in response to that hell, we use our ego to try and find solutions that also identify us because now we're vilifying the past and we're judging the future as we're gonna be better, right? And it just continues to run us in circles because we can't, solve this problem and still believe that our perception of division is the truth that is the problem yeah and it's like when we shift the perspective of ourself we shift the perspective of the events that have happened and all of a sudden we're able to make change and and turn that shit into gold however it may be but like it has to start whether it's childhood trauma or anything else we've ever experienced it has to start with a shifting of our perception of ourself of our perspective of ourself and and what we think we are which is never what we think we are or what we we recognize that we aren't is i guess i don't know i feel like that gets you closer almost it's just recognizing that what you're not as opposed to pointing to what you are because you can't like that's the only thing that works. It's the only thing that works is the path of negation is to recognize that anything that you attach to is the fiction that's causing your conflict. Yes. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> oh man. That is funny. It's funny how so many things point to this too, but I don't know. It's still even just until this conversation, like, I don't know if it even stuck very well for me, like, you know, acceptance, non-resistance, non-judgment, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, as long as you're holding on to those, even you're still holding on to something. Yeah. They're all just tools, right? Like that's yeah. the thing is if you really deep dive 
on this. It's a totally different discussion, right? Like the conversation we have on, on dualistic unity is deep. I'll be the first to admit it's a deeper conversation than you will usually find in your normal discussions around the water cooler at a coffee shop or something like that. But it does cover a lot of things that we can all kind of relate to. The conversation we're having right now is much deeper and can get far more uncomfortable and it can go on for a lot longer, but it's because we're exploring a different perception of reality because we're exploring, I guess, recognition itself, not conceptualization, but actual recognition, the practice of getting out of our ways so we can have just one moment of awe because that's really what it is. It is that big. It is that vast. It is that much what it is that we're talking about, which is nothing at all, which is the fun paradox again. But this conversation is the deep end. This is where it starts to become more meaningful. This is where you start to recognize what it is to be God forever. And it's the reason that we don't often get into this conversation here on the podcast, because admittedly, it's open to misinterpretation in a lot of ways. Anybody who's listening to this from an, uh, from an egoic sense right now, depending on how much they're invested in that egoic sense, is going to find this conversation crazy. It's going to sound insane and probably offensive. And that is ultimately because of the childhood trauma that was put on them by the collective ego that they are now embodying. And that's the point. We have to address it in ourselves before we can start dealing with the children that we are. We are those children. We can't help them until we help ourselves because it is all you. It's all you. It starts with you and it ripples from you to all the rest of you. It is a beautiful paradox in that you just have to be responsible for what you've always been. And the easiest way to do that is to relax. As a beautiful way to tie this conversation together, right? Fuck, I don't really have anything else to add after that. I think I'm like, my mind's, I, I'm going to have to re-listen to this one because I'm going to have to unravel some of the shit that just went on because I was like trying to distill it and say things at the same time. And yeah, like this was, this is a fun one for me because I think this is one of the deeper ones we've had in a while. So yeah, I'm looking forward to, keeping this uh this train going maybe we can talk about it more in our our uh, patreon chat tomorrow um because i think some people will definitely be interested in this one but yeah this is a fun one <laughs> yeah this is a conversation that i i'm sure that we're going to have again especially as we continue on with dualistic unity we'll actually have some episodes where we do deep dive into this we're just starting to brush through the paradox as it were we've been kind of skirting around the edges for quite some time but uh, for anybody who is interested in having this conversation for hours on end in person come to the retreat because i'm like this all the time i love this paradox i chew on this all the time because it's delicious and it's fun and there's nowhere else to go so i may as well it's a long eternity and i would love to share it with you i would love to have this conversation with you in person so if you can join us on November 12th, we'll have eight days to explore eternity. I couldn't be more excited for it because, yeah, those are going to be some fucking awesome conversations. If we can do this over Zoom, I can only imagine what's going to be like with a bunch of other people talking about this type of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be going to be epic. Absolutely. And on that note, we are going to wrap up this episode here. I do want to say quickly that this is by no means 
everything that we could talk about in terms of childhood trauma or the collective ego. This is just one short episode. There are so many layers when it comes to trauma. There are so many impacts when it comes to trauma played out over, over years. There are so many things that we can do about trauma in little ways, as well as ways that we can help children as they're that are going through something traumatic, even if it's just to be a relaxed and safe person around them. So that way they have some exposure to something that they don't often get exposure to that can change the balance that can tip the scales. So it's important to remember that this is by by no means the comprehensive work on childhood trauma. There is a lot to talk about. But if you do have any questions, if you would like to talk about it in more detail, you can reach out to us individually or you can join us on Patreon for the group chat because we always talk about things in detail there and it would be an ideal situation for doing so. So we're going to wrap up here. Thank you so much for joining us for Community Topics number seven. We will see you next week for episode 13. Hi, everyone.